As we are in our scripture, um, before we get into it, I was remembering a game that I used to see Ellen play on her show, The Ellen Show, that was one of my favorites, and it was called Epic or Fail. And in this game, she would show a video, and she called it kind of a commentary on human behavior, which it is. And she would show a little bit of a video, somebody was pulling some kind of stunt, some silly stunt, some outrageous stunt, like using a pogo stick to go off a diving board. And she would stop at mid-video and ask everyone in the studio or in the audience to take their paddle out and to actually put up epic, meaning that you thought that this was really going to turn out great and be epic. Or fail, you thought it was going to be one of those crash and burn videos. So everybody had to vote, and then they would show the video again, and you would see what happened. So I've got these handy-dandy ping-pong paddles that Amy Moore made for me <laughs> to do this epic or fail as we are in our scripture today and as we are in the biblical story. Because as we have come so far through the first six books of the Bible all the way through Joshua, we have seen some very epic things that God has done creating a people for God's self to be a blessing to the whole world. And God has done an epic thing by bringing them up to the Red Sea, being chased by Pharaoh and his armies and it looked like it was going to be a big fail, but by God's grace, it was this epic sea crossing. And then last week, Joshua, the people have gone all the way through the wilderness with a lot of fail, but God also doing some epic things, and they come right up to the promised land, to the Jordan River. Joshua is leading. It looks like it's going to be a big fail because the river is huge, flooding, and yet it is epic. Once again, God parts the Jordan River for them to cross. So here we are going into Judges, and I'm going to ask you to vote before we get into the passage on Facebook whether you think what happens next is going to be epic or whether it's going to be a fail. Let me tell you what's happening. The people have made vows. They have made a commitment as they are now in the promised land successfully that they will be obedient. They will hear God's word, be obedient to God's word. I want you to hear these words that they spoke back in Exodus 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, all their ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So at the end of Deuteronomy, then they heard all these warnings and all these blessings and all these cursings that come from paying attention to God's word and being obedient. So by the time they get to the end of Joshua, they're in the land. And Joshua is warning them once again, last chapter, he says this, you cannot serve, wait a minute, down here, now therefore revere the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people said, we will serve the Lord too. Far be it from us to serve anyone else. God is the one who brought us thus far, delivered us from out of the hand of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So that's where we are. Before I read the scripture, you can weigh in. As we are in Judges 2, is it going to be epic or is it going to be fail? Judges 2. 
verses 8 through 23. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you are an amazing God, faithful in all your ways, loving us with a covenant love that never changes. How we praise you, and we ask that you would speak to us in this book of Judges. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Beginning at verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. So they buried him within the bounds of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them. They bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and the Astartes. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the power of their enemies all around so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them to bring misfortune to, as the Lord had warned them and sworn to them, and they were in great distress." And then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen even to their judges, for they lusted after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their ancestors had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not follow their example. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord would be moved to pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they would relapse and behave worse than their ancestors, following other gods, worshiping them and bowing down to them. They would not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their ancestors and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel whether or not they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their ancestors did. The Lord had left those nations, not driving them out at once, and had not handed them over to Joshua. This is the gift of God's word. So, wow, talking about a big fail, huh? Saying that they would remember the Lord and they would follow God's ways and they actually forgot the Lord, forgot the story and abandoned the Lord. Saying, we will not serve the gods of the people around us. We will serve the Lord. Who else would we serve? You're the ones who saved us. And yet they ended up serving the gods around them. Now, this wasn't necessarily looking at pagan idols and saying we want to bow down to that. They were looking around and seeing how the rest of the people were thriving in their agriculture, and they prayed to Baal. 
They were getting the weather that they hoped for, and they were praying to Baal, the god of the storms. They were finding productivity and fertility. The god of Astarte was the god they were looking to, so they decided to do the same thing. They said, we will obey you. They did not obey. They did not even listen to the judges that God raised up. So it was, for the people, a fail. For the God of the covenant, epic faithfulness. Even when the people abandoned God, did the opposite of what they said they were going to do, God did not abandon them. Even when they were in distress, even when they were oppressed, God's response, compassion. Hearing and seeing their suffering and raising up judges. So this commitment that God made, this covenant commitment to this people, to raise up a people, to be a blessing to everyone on earth, God did not abandon it. I think of the story about two men who were riding a bicycle built for two, and they were going up a very, very steep hill, and they were panting, and they were struggling, and they were sweating, and they were so, working so hard that they didn't even have the chance to talk to each other. Finally, they get to the top of the hill, and the guy in front says, wow, that was a really steep hill. And the guy in the back said, yeah, if I didn't keep my brakes on the whole way, we would have rolled backwards. So we got this picture, I think, of God's in front, doing God's part, doing everything God vowed to do. And you have the people in back whom God has partnered with, covenanted with, who are doing the opposite, who are doing what is right in their own eyes. So spoiler alert, this is the pattern you're going to see as we are immersed in the biblical story over and over and over again. Through the Old Testament, God does all this epic, loving and faithfulness and graciously providing and raising up leaders and raising up prophets and raising up every single thing the people need to succeed in their calling. And again and again, they forget the Lord. They abandon the Lord. They serve the gods around them. Until finally... At the end of the Old Testament, we hear this in Jeremiah. This covenant is beyond saving. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah says. Chapter 31, verse 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Wow. Wow. This epic God continues to love, continues to be partnered to this failure of a people. So when we get to the New Testament, we see this epic love take flesh in Jesus Christ. 
We see Jesus behind the Passover table saying to the disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. This epic love of God that goes down into our failure is raised up to new life so that we can finally live into our calling to be a blessing to all the nations and all the families of the earth. So what happened after that? What happened to the church? Get into Acts. We were in the book of Acts, which is the story of the beginning of the church and what happens with the church, and we see a lot of epic things happen. As the people are filled with the spirit of Jesus alive, and they are moving out as his witnesses, not just keeping it to themselves or in their little locality, they are moving out to the whole earth. There is epic, epic, epic demonstration of God's spirit at work. And yet in the midst of that, there is fail. People are still sinners. You, you hear Paul, the great pastor of them all, saying, the good that I want to do, I don't do. I end up doing the very evil I don't want to do. So there is this sin that is still in us individually and as God's people. And as the people, as we hear in Romans 12, when they are conformed to this world, to the gods around us, bowing down to the powers that everyone else serves as a God, there is failure. When there is the transformation, the renewal of our minds according to the story of what God has done in Scripture and Jesus Christ, there is epic. But we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. Sin is still in the world. Sin is still at work in the church. And as we follow what's happened in the church since Jesus, since the beginnings of the church, when the church has aligned itself with power or wealth, there has been failure, even as there has been a vow to believe the right things and do the right things. Rachel Held Evans is, uh, well, she's now, she's, uh, she died a few years ago, but a blogger, just an amazing um, writer about the church, and I've been reading her book, Searching for Sunday. And she's very honest in her section on confession and has a chapter about the church and what we have done, paragraph after paragraph. She tells about, in 1099, the Christian crusaders going in to lay siege in Jerusalem, and every Arab they meet, every Jew they meet, they cut down, woman, man, child, Screaming, God wills this. God wills this. Saying the right things and yet a big fail. You get to Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation in the 16th century, an amazing leader reforming the church. And yet he encouraged civic leaders to go to Jewish synagogues to burn them down, to run the Jews out of town, and if they remained, to kill them because it was like a surgeon getting rid of gangrene in a body. You have the Christian, European Christians who come to this world and citing the scripture that we were in last week about Joshua conquering all the nations in Canaan. Because of that, God had called them to conquer to plunder, to enslave, to rape, to kill the native peoples here. We are vulnerable. 
even as we make our confession of faith, trying to live into this epic calling to be living into a big fail. I've been grateful for First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley as I heard what they did recently um, in the wake of the George Floyd killing and really trying to wrestle anew uh, with racial inequities. They, uh, as a congregation, decided to read a book by Jamar Tisby called The Color of Compromise, the true story, the truth about the American complicity in racism. That all their small groups read it and discussed it. It was a part of their preaching series. And then this weekend, they actually invited Jamar Tisby to come for the weekend with several other people as they talked about racial injustice. And I was listening to the interview with him on Friday night, and he was saying, you know, the church's complicity isn't as if they do overt things, but the silence. And he gave the illustration of the 1963 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham. Six weeks before that, there had been bombing after bombing of African-American churches, and the white churches and white leaders said and did nothing. And yet, as First Press Berkeley is wrestling with this, what does it mean to live into this epic calling, and what does it mean to actually fail at that? and wrestling with that topic together as a congregation. So, what about us? The video's rolling. I'm gonna ask you to choose on Facebook if you get to write. Where are we as a church? The calling is to the church, to a people. Yes, to individuals, but individuals who make up a people whom God has set apart to be a blessing for the healing of the nations. We have been given every single thing we need to live this. We've been given Jesus Christ, who not only is God peddling up front, but also God peddling in the back for us. We have been given this amazing calling in the world, and God promises to fulfill it. Will we remember? Will we teach our children the story so we can live into that story? Will we be assimilated, conformed to the gods around us, to the directions everybody else is looking? Will we be transformed by the renewing of our minds? Will we be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word? Will we live into our high and holy calling to be a blessing to the world? So I'm going to lead us in prayer in a moment, to, and I will begin with silence, and then I will invite you to join me in the prayer of confession. So right now, choose which paddle for our church here at Trinity.
I invite you to join me now in this prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.